Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations, and we are getting ready to finalize our NRB podcast. So, Andrew, we had a great time down in Orlando. Fabulous time. And uh, yeah, just in time, we're getting these done. Uh, it's only about eight months until the next NRB. So. <laughs> it's crazy. We had a great booth. We had some great conversations. You can hear all those interviews, which were sponsored by Reasons for Hope, who came along and helped finance our booth. We're thankful for them. You can hear them on our podcast here. And in this one is going to be Tim and Jan Solomon. We did an interview with Jan Solomon earlier in the week, and then she brought her husband Tim back, and we got a more complete version of their story together. Mm-hmm. Uh, missionaries who ended up coming back home and doing ministry from their sailboat. Right, yep. What do you remember from that story that struck struck you? Man, the, the craziest thing, uh, you know, you want to call it a coincidence, but, you know, are there coincidences with God? Um but their whole story about how after they met, they they realized that they were in the same place so many times. And there are photographs of where, you know, their dads knew each other from years and years before they got to meet each other. And so, you know, they'd find out, oh, here's our both of our dads at some conference. And there's me at four and you at five, both like in the picture. Crazy. Like, wow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, part of what we heard with Jan's story, in, in fact, I would really recommend that you listen to these together yeah. because you're going to hear Jan's story, and it's going to give you some context from which Tim and Jan's story together, this interview will kind of make sense and fill in some of the gaps. Some of the stuff is retold. A lot of it is not retold, and it's just a, an amazing and very meandering story of the connections that they had. They were connected to Bill Bright and his wife, who started Campus Crusade for Christ. They're connected with the Saints. Nate Saint is the son, or Steve Saint is the son of Nate Saint, who was with Jim Elliott down in Ecuador when they were speared. Mm-hmm. So they're part of the movie and hosting Minkaye's wife. And if you know <laughs> that, you, you know those names. Um, and now they got a sailboat in Sarasota. Right. And uh, just never know. And doing really cool ministry there. Very cool. So enjoy this interview with Tim and Jan Solomon, and thanks to those two for being with us at NRB. Hey, everybody. Matt Reister at the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida. This is our last day. It's been a whirlwind, and I want to thank Reasons for Hope. They're the ministry that came alongside us to help sponsor this booth, and they are our podcast sponsors for the interviews that we do while we're here. Reasons for Hope is an apologetics ministry primarily with students, 
They've got camps, and they've got a great app that you can download for free with some videos that are kind of like PragerU videos. And they defend the faith, defend the truth of God's Word, and they're doing some great stuff. Dave Glander from Reasons for Hope is going to be at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference this summer, last Saturday in July through the first Saturday in August. So if you guys are in the area and you have kids in junior high or high school, get them there because you're going to want to have them influenced by Dave. So thank you to Reasons for Hope. You can find out more about them at r4h.com. That's r-f-o-r-h.com. Okay, today I've got Jan Solomon. You, I was going to say you heard her yesterday, but actually you haven't heard her yesterday because that file's not up yet. But I interviewed her yesterday. <laughs> And, uh, or was it two days ago? I don't know, but I didn't have my cuter, better half with me. So, so I, I hope you got your video on that's too. <laughs> <laughs> so I got Tim Solomon with me and, uh, Tim, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome to our backyard. You get the, you get the vibe here. Thank you. I love it. Yeah. We, we got a campfire. I know it. We got a picnic table. Just need some marshmallows. This picnic table is terrible to sit at. We had it shipped here and then we built it on site. And I don't know what we're going to do with it when we're done. i got to find someone in Orlando to give it to. Absolutely. Well, Someone's yeah, backyard. Well, no, we'll, we'll take it away. We're missionaries. We can find use for anything. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's like sitting here for seven hours a day is not good. We feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tim, uh, your wife had quite a story in our first interview and um, played the flute for us. Oh, good. Uh, Jan, just remind us again your whole little spiel that's oh, sure. like two sentences long. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was a little girl from the beach, and she ran off to change the world with her childhood sweetheart. The world changed her instead when she survived a foiled kidnapping the week she was playing flute for Dr. Luis Palau in Colombia and got back up on stage afterwards three days later. And then the world followed her home. And all these things that Tim's going to tell you that we were running around doing, we were doing while I had 33 years of nerve pain. So basically, I was unconscious three days seriously ill with horrific pain for 33 years yeah. as the world followed me home to a sailboat where we took 45,000 people sailing while I was still sick. Then I was miraculously healed through the prayer of um, astronaut James Irwin's widow at sunset at Purim, as Kevin and Donna Jessup pointed out, and have been well since March 16th, uh, 2022. And now we're in 2023. So that's the basic story yep. of the little girl who found out she can change the world from home. So let's find out about Tim. But, There's but one a lot thing, more with him. Yeah. One, one thing I remember from that story is early on, you felt a desire to make Christ known to the nations. Yes. And you thought that to do that, you need to go to the nations. Correct. And it never dawned on you that you might be able to do that from home. Yes, sir. And what this reminds me of, you know the course Perspectives? perspectives of the Christian world. It's a missions course. It's pretty intensive, 12-week. You can actually take it for college credit, do a bunch of stuff. I took it one time. And uh, they tell you that there are several roles. Every Christian needs to be involved in reaching the nations in some way, shape, or form. Um, most typically, we think of going. If I surrender my life to God, he's going to send me to Africa. You know, it's kind of right. the, the typical shtick. Yeah. Uh, but you can go, you can pray, yes. uh, you can send, mm -hmm. that involves supporting people financially, yep. and you can welcome. Yep. Uh, you know, like we live in a university town, and so we've got, our university has a relationship with Saudi Arabia, and mm -hmm. so we've got a bunch of Saudi kids that 
that do exchanges with Amazing. the University of Northern Iowa. And so you're bringing the nations to Cedar Falls, Iowa, and Christians in Cedar Falls can welcome. Um, and that's not to give people an out who should go. Exactly. But that is to say that there are many roles, and if you yourself aren't called to go, that doesn't let you off the hook from being involved with taking Christ to the nations. Exactly. Absolutely. The two things, go ahead. The key is to know where God wants you. Yes, yes. Right. that's what I was I mean, I always say. go back to uh, chapter one of Jeremiah, where uh, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and, and had already set you apart as a prophet to the nation. This is before Jeremiah was conceived. So, yeah. you know, not to uh, overplay that, but I believe that God knows before we are born For sure. the role that he wants us to play. That doesn't always play out in reality because it requires some obedience on our part. Yeah. Right? It, because the Bible also says that it's his will that everyone come to repentance. And we know that's not going to be a reality, but that's God's will. Yeah. So the key from our standpoint, like you said, is am I supposed to say in Cedar Falls or am I supposed to go to Africa? Where, where does God want me to be? What is my role in kingdom work? So yep. that's the key. Yep. That's what I learned. So, Jan, obviously one of the big aspects of your story is this circumstance that played out in Colombia. When you're doing flute playing for Luis Palau, uh, there's a foiled kidnapping attempt, and you end up being unconscious for three days. You end up playing the flute at the crusade, and Tim was there. I know he was there for that. Mm -hmm. So help us fill in the gaps between... Well, before that, Tim, yeah. for you. Well, the reason I wasn't with her the evening of the kidnapping attempt is I was teaching a Bible study across town. Bogota is a huge city. Yep. So she, we, we, we were dividing and conquering. I was teaching a Bible study, and she was heading off to this rehearsal, and that's when the kidnapping attempt well, happened. Well, the, the thing that's the most important about that is the whole thought for our listeners that I was the little girl from the beach who wanted to change the world. Tim had been a missionary kid yeah. and was finding this stability. And I think we had to take this path to have the experience to realize that I was unconscious three days. I was sick 33 years. Our life verse is Jeremiah 33.3. And what we can tell our listeners is God is in the circumstances. Theirs might not be a foiled kidnapping. Um, they may or may not have 33 years of pain. God is in the circumstances, and you can just pretend you're having popcorn in heaven with God looking at the scary chapter of your life and change the world where you are. So that goes back to Tim's childhood, which is crazy. Our love story is crazier than anything that happened to us on the mission field. Well, I know she shared a picture where you were both in the same picture, not knowing that you would one day be married. Right. I, I want to hear about that in a second. Yeah. Um, but I also want to ask you this, and you can just kind of fill in the gaps and answer this however you want. She says she was a little girl from the beach who wanted to go change the world, but the world came home with her and whatever. I can't remember all the words. But did you equally want to go change the world away no. from home? No. And, you know, in fact, I, th I think uh, it's clear in many people's minds that opposites attract. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Jan and I are opposite. She's the extrovert. I'm the introvert. And, okay. and so on and so forth. But um, she had lived in the same hometown from age two, Sarasota, Florida, and just thought that my life of living in two foreign countries and five different states just Where sounded were very exciting. Where did you live? Argentina and Colombia. When I was two years old, my parents moved to Argentina. When I was 17, they moved to Medellin, Colombia. 
And so that just sounded so exotic to her and everything else. Having lived overseas and in three different states, when I landed in Sarasota, Florida as a high school senior, wow. I thought, what a gorgeous spot. I want to live here the rest of my life. So I was ready to settle down, marry the girl next door, so to speak. Um, uh, you know, two kids, a dog, white picket fence, that sort of thing. Yeah. And Jan's attitude was like, as soon as we get married, you can whisk me off to exotic places and we're going to be used by God to do wonderful things in helping save the world, you know? So we came at it from two different standpoints. So God worked that out over the course of the first 10 years of our marriage. We stayed in Sarasota. We both worked in Christian radio. Jan taught at a Christian high school. And uh, in the meantime, God worked it out to where our mission board asked if we would consider to go to South America as missionaries. So it was we didn't instigate it. It was an invitation was that came, came from our from our mission board. So when I don't go pursuing something that looks like it has God's fingerprints on it, yeah. and it's coming to me, um, even at that young of an age, I was in my late 20s, um, you, you have to pause and pray about it. You can't just dismiss it out of hand. Right. I was not looking to do missionary work overseas again no. like my parents. I didn't want to follow in my dad's footsteps. Yeah. That reminds me of my story of why I've even leading this ministry. I mean, I there, I laughed when a guy suggested that I should, you know, apply for this job. And many times that's the Lord does that, just out of the mm-hmm. blue. And, and the thing I agreed to do was pause and pray. Yeah. I mean, you have which, to, which I didn't even want to because I, I didn't want to do this. But <laughs> well, you know, that could take script. us down another rabbit hole. But I think it, it's worth noting that we really need to be very aware and shrug off the old thought, this is probably decades old, if not centuries old, that whatever you don't want to do, that's what God's going to call you to do. It's yes. kind of like, God, yes. God, please don't call me to Africa. And so my mom used to joke about the fact that she was praying that God would not send her to Hawaii as a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, that he would. Would. so that he would. Well, when we did the sailboat, his first thing was, We've been offered, I was really ill, and we had been offered to have a sailboat charter ministry, and we were with Campus Crusade for Christ, and Tim's like, this couldn't be God. This is too much fun because we had learned to sail yeah. in high school together. Yes. And Vonette Bright said, Jesus had a boat in his hometown with 12 people. Yeah. You can change the world yeah. from home. But yeah, you so, should tell him how you well, met. Well, no, I just quickly want to add to that. When, we, when we the opportunity to, bring this, uh, to acquire the sailboat charter business, I was doing full-time pastoring, but the church was not paying me enough to live on. We were looking for other sources of income. Well, I actually said to Jan as we were considering this, if the enemy ever wanted to get me out of full-time pastoral (laughs) ministry, the the greatest thing he could do is offer me a sailing boat charter. (laughs) That would do it, you know. But we didn't realize what what a platform for ministry that would be. I just normally, I'm I'm so myopic at times, so narrow focused. Yep. I just saw it as an extra way to uh, to make extra income, yep. a way to provide for, you know, be a tent maker, a term we yeah. used, yeah. by vocational pastor. We did not realize until a few months in what a platform for ministry that boat Absolutely. was going to be. That's awesome. We've done premarital counseling on the boat, marriage counseling, uh, talked to college students about their faith. It, it, over the last 16 years, it's just been amazing what God has done. Happens naturally. And I want to get back to how you guys got connected between when you showed up in Sarasota at 19 and when you went to Columbia together married at 28 or late 20s, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I just want to highlight what you said, which is the Lord is, I, lo- I love 
that you said we need to get rid of the notion that if I surrender to God, he's going to make me do the thing I exactly don't want to do. Right. And I, I mean, I've been a victim of being afraid of that in mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, I don't want to, you can't have my entire yeah. life, Lord, because you're going to make me do something I hate. Right. When the Lord knows the desires of my heart, and if, and, and the Lord is more creative about how to reach people with a boat than you are, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And, and the other thing I want to highlight for our audience is how everything, I mean, a charter boat in Sarasota, or I've got a, a tailgate bus, uh, an Iowa Hawkeyes tailgate bus that's kind of cool. Back, uh, something that seems very worldly and not spiritual or ministry-oriented at all can be a tool for ministry. Absolutely. And, and when, you, when you think that way, then you start to realize that plumbers and dentists and truck drivers and farmers all have a place in the kingdom because yeah. everything that they do and everything that they're about can be used absolutely. to advance the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Grow where you're planted Yeah, type of thing. But be open. I think you have to be open to saying, God, if there's a place you want me where I'm not comfortable going myself, I'll I know go. you'll equip me. Yep. If I'm obedient, you'll equip me with everything yeah. that y- you want. At case in point, just jumping maybe ahead a little bit, I was a very shy teenager where occasionally my dad would ask me to uh, do a special number, playing the guitar with my sister on stage at church, or even just reading scripture. And I'd get butterflies, and I just did not want to do this. I just wanted to hide behind the curtain. I I did not want to get up onto the platform, behind the pulpit, whatever. I've been in uh, pastoral ministry now with a Spanish church uh, for over 20 years. And people who knew me back then laugh because my typical sermon runs 40 minutes. Yeah. You, you, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching the word and I'm excited about what God's given me, the message he's given me for that day yeah. to share with God's people, yeah. um, I get excited about it. And it just, fortunately, the church where um, I teach and preach does not look at the clock. That's great. You know, <laughs> the, the Latinos in general feel that if the pastor is not done speaking, the Holy Spirit's not done speaking. Yeah. And, uh, I think what set me on fire with that was a friend of mine who said, Tim, I want you to remember one thing. When a servant of God opens up the word of God before the people of God, God speaks. Yeah, amen. You're not speaking. Amen. God's speaking. Amen. And I, I try to remember that every time I go, go uh, up before a group of people, either lead a Bible study or preach a sermon or lead worship, it's not me doing it. I'm just the channel through which he's working. Amen. So let's jump into your story about... Uh between when you showed up in Sarasota, after the picture, how old were you it's, guys when you guys were in that picture? We were born married. I'll let Tim tell that part. Our love story, it's let God write your story because I could never make up a story like our love story. So we might be getting into some. The, we were born married. Go ahead, Tim. We you might can be, explain. We might be getting into the deep end theologically. Yes. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know if Jan and I knew each other in heaven before uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were born or not. I was born in his arms. No, I don't want to get into that theology because there are other groups that believe that that sort of stuff that there's souls waiting in heaven to, to occupy human bodies. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get there. No. But um, no, it's funny because we always, knew, we didn't always, but when we started dating at uh, age 16 and 17. Oh, we, you dated before you showed up in Sarasota? We have to tell you from the beginning. There are photos of us okay. together as babies. I, sorry, go ahead. Babies. Yeah, let me back up. I'm, I'm just trying to you know, make this brief, but this could be like a two hour long story. <laughs> um, 
my dad was invited by Jan's dad. They, they both went to the same seminary. Jan's dad was a pastor in Florida. My dad, missionary to South America. We were going to start a new work in Medellin, Colombia. And Jan's dad invited my dad on the way to Columbia to pass through Sarasota, Florida and do a series of meetings, a missions conference, we used to call it. So my dad agreed. I was 16, I was 17, Jan was 16. We passed through Sarasota, Florida. And literally within 24 hours, Jan and I both realized that there was some chemistry going on between us. Yeah. I have a sister that's Jan's age. And um, it was embarrassingly clear that she would rather hang out with me than with my sister. So at that point, we were aware of a picture of us together at age five and six. Okay. Where she's five and I'm six. In the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Actually, they showed that at our engagement. I yeah. think that's the first time we saw it. What we didn't see until after we were married, several years later, we were married at 19 and 21, was that there existed a picture of us together at ages one and two, where wow. we're in a conference together, old black and white picture. Our parents are in a conference together. Jan is in her dad's arms, and I'm in my dad's arms, and there are a bunch of other people in that picture, but yeah. we're in the same picture. We're in the same airspace together at yeah. ages one and two. Yeah. Well, your grandparents' diaries are in my grandfather's bookcase or the other way around? My grandfather was a bit OCD about keeping a daily diary, and in uh, several uh, entries in his diary in the mid-1930s, he mentions Jan's grandfather, Jan's maternal grandfather by name. That's it, incredible. working together. After our moms passed away, we found baby pictures and pictures of us playing together with each other because his parents were serving with my aunt and uncle. Yeah. And I went forward at age nine to be a missionary where all those family photos of missionaries were out there. And I walked right past a photo of his family to become a missionary. And we held hands in high school going forward to be missionaries but then you showed up in florida and it's 50 years our first kiss this coming november we're going to be marking 50 years of our first kiss he kissed wow. me and left the country yeah. missionary kids kiss and fly they yeah. call that and then yeah. that's where the story gets good because i imported him back for high school so keep telling it tim yeah so no so uh we lived in i lived i went to columbia with my parents for one year and uh, then my dad, I'm the oldest of four. My dad thought that it'd be a good idea if I came back to the States to finish high school. Well, what about when I visited and, you, though? Uh, I visited you that summer. Jan's the podcast host today. I don't know if <laughs> no, you knew no, that. No. <laughs> Tell him how I visited you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, okay, so back up. We left a week after being here, and Jan and I falling in love. We left, and uh, I left with my parents, and we went to Medellin, Colombia. Six months later, her dad and her, she went down with her dad and where he preached 40 sometimes in one month with my dad or me translating for him into Spanish. And her dad was a, a tremendous evangelist as well as a pastor. And uh, so Jan uh, went with her dad down there and she, they spent almost a month in Medellin. And then we didn't see each other again for another six months until I came back to the States to finish high school. I turned down a trip to Carnegie Hall and to play for the Pope with a national band to go see him. And um, my mom let me do that, and she was a symphony violinist. And I said, Mom, you paid for all these flute lessons. Why did you do that? And she said, I can't pick the product, but I can choose the shopping mall. Because yes. they had all gone to college together. Yeah, let me, let me amen that. I've got a 19-year-old son. Uh, 15-year-old daughter, 12-year-old daughter, 9-year-old daughter. And we have said many times, in fact, there's a guy in our town at a 
event with our Christian school. Our kids are homeschooled, but they take some classes at the Christian school mm-hmm. and they play sports there. I coach basketball there. And uh, this guy said, you know, he's an old timer and his kids are all grown and gone. And it was like a fundraising event. He was just painting a picture for getting your kids in the right fishbowl. You can't control yeah. who they're hooking up with, but you can control the fishbowl they're in. Exactly. That's a good and way of putting it. I'm all about that. You, what, what did you say? It was a shopping mall. The shopping mall. Yeah. It, and you can't what, but you can what? You can't, I can't choose the product, but I can I can pick the shopping mall. That's because right. people were very surprised when they knew that um, we waited until marriage. Yeah. We um, we That was just who, who you we were. are. Right. And he was very respectful to me, so... Yes. Then he came back to Sarasota High School, and we took sailing. So, I uh, just another quick thing before you keep going. I interviewed a gal yesterday, Tina Griffin, and she's got two sons who are the age of two of my daughters. Oh no! And I said, uh, you got to bring them. I, I already had scheduled her to come to speak at our Bible conference this summer. And so I bring those sons because we're going <laughs> to do some shopping mall product work. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know if our like, I like the fishbowl thing, though, because that's a little more restrictive than a shopping mall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, then I came to the States, and uh, Jan's parents uh, helped set up a living space for me um, four doors down from where Jan was uh, living and uh, where Jan's parents' house was. And I could tell that her parents really liked me. Yeah. And um, it was just almost embarrassingly so. I was invi- I had an open invitation to dinner every evening. Awesome. At Jan's parents' house. And Jan's mom would say, uh, bring any dirty laundry you have. Awesome. <laughs> and I, you know, I was well, a little no, embarrassed no, at first. He didn't, you he know? didn't do that. But what was amazing <laughs> was, you know, uh, I could just, uh, Jan would help me do homework. I hadn't studied in the States very much before. So yeah. she was coaching me along in that way. How old were you again? A 19. Time? Yeah, okay. Because so, he had gone to different schools, so they all not all the electives translated. But we did yeah. sailing. So, that was the class we took, yeah, sailing. So Jan and I, even though I'm almost a year and a half older than she is, we graduated together in, um, at, from Sarasota High School. We but in that senior together. year of uh, high school, uh, we took a course called sailing. And uh, we've been sailing ever since. She told me that the other day when we were talking, and I never imagined that sailing would be a class, but in Sarasota, it makes sense. Or yeah. circus. Circus was the other elective. Like, circus. Walendas, Ringling Brothers. That was a you, class? We, we yeah. hung out with the Walendas. They What's were all over the place. What's that have to do with anything? The Sarasota Circus. Sarasota well, is the Sarasota is the winter headquarters of the Ringling Circus. Oh, okay. So, big circus town. Awesome. Yeah, the Sarasota's nickname is Circus City. Well, Jan, I mean, you fit in great. I fit in great. <laughs> and, and my friends were all Amish or there was a, the Mennonite was the radio station was Mennonite. The Christian bookstore was Mennonite. The Christian station, KZM, where we worked that became Moody yeah, yeah, was yeah. Mennonite. So it was a very Midwest quiet town with a circus. Were you guys Mennonite? No, brethren, brethren ba- back, background. Background. Okay. And then we worked for First Campus Crusade for Christ and then yeah. YWAM. Well, she was telling me no one can come to Sarasota without greeting her and shaking her hand, basically, and having <laughs> right. her pray for him. So, absolutely. Okay, so keep telling the story. How did you end up in Columbia well, first after you got married? First, we got married and did a lot of really cool things. She should tell that the skating ring, KZM. Well, Jan uh, uh, was a teacher in Sarasota, and on the grounds of Sarasota Christian School was WKZM Radio, which was a Christian radio station. It's now part of the Moody Network. And so I worked there as an announcer and producer. In the meantime, both of our 
children were born. And uh, about uh, eight or ten years into our marriage, um, well, it was ten years, eleven years after we were married that we went to the mission field, but before that, the mission board of the Brethren Church started contacting us, wondering if we would be willing to consider becoming missionaries. Yep. We were both bilingual. That was help, helpful. We didn't need language training. We didn't know we were missionaries. Well, he did. We had a Spanish Sunday school class of 100 people, 100 people, Spanish Sunday school class. We had a skating rink ministry through the radio station um, where well, the Amish and Mennonites would even and come. And Jan was the director of Fame Daycare, which was a daycare that took care of migrant uh, children, the children We're of migrant in workers Sarasota. in Sarasota. Yeah. yeah. So she was using her Spanish there, and we would invite people to church. So. We're doing cro- not just missionary work. We're doing cross-cultural missionary work right there in Sarasota. And yep. he had just opened the Joy the Joy FM radio network. He filed the paperwork, and I chose the call letters. And yeah. we, I still didn't get it, Matt, that we were missionaries. But yes, at home, you were missionaries we were. at home. We were. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I think that's because, and we need to be careful. I think as Christians with our, our paradigm thinking, I think the image back then in her mind still was. A missionary, definition of a missionary is someone who not go, not only goes cross-culturally, but leaves the United States. Yeah. And I think in the last 40 years especially, but even before that, we need to be blatantly aware that right here in the United States, we've got a huge mission field. And it's not just Americans reaching out to American, other Americans who don't know Christ in the English language, yeah. but think of all the different cultures. Yes. You were you mentioning the relationship with your part of the world there in Iowa in Saudi with, Arabia. with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Think of all the uh, cross-cultural uh, opportunities that we have right here in the United States. Again, doesn't give us an excuse to not leave the country if God is calling you to Africa yeah. or wherever, Yep. but just, just being aware. I love the term situational awareness being aware of where God wants you and where God wants to use you. Yep. One of my prayers lately has been, God, I don't want to be taken from this planet until you have completed the mission for which I came to this planet. Yes. And he, I believe he's already answered that in Scripture. It says he promises to complete the work that he has started in each one of us yes. to the day of, till the day of Jesus yeah. Christ. My mother died suddenly in her sleep one night at age 59. Wow. And we were like, Wow. What up with that? Yeah. You know, and the night before she had been playing with our children, she had come over to visit the grandkids, and the next morning when Dad woke up, she was gone. Mm-hmm. And it just dawned on me, even though it was a shock to lose your mother in that way, uh, it dawned on me what a faithful pastor's wife and missionary's wife she had been. And we just looked at each other with our siblings at my mom's funeral. We go, God said, your mission's up, Jeanette. You're done. You're done. Yep. Come on home. Yeah. So. Chronological age has nothing to do with it. No. Nope. If you're being faithful and submitting to God's will, as soon as he's done using you, he's going to call you home. Yeah. That's your graduation party. That's awesome. I want to highlight an interview that I did with four brothers called the Wild. Actually, it's three of the four, the Wild Brothers. They're amazing. Uh, they're missionaries, mission family from Indonesia. Missionary uh, the, kids. The other side of the island from Papua New Guinea. And uh, they've got a bunch of videos about what it's like to be on the mission field. Uh, mostly geared toward kids. They won a bunch of awards at the Crown Awards the other mm-hmm. night. And uh, in addition to when you're done with whatever mission God has for you, then you're going to graduate home. 
but there's no age that's too young to get started. These kids exactly. are young and sharp, mm-hmm. and they're doing some amazing, amazing stuff. If you haven't heard that interview, you got to go back and listen to it in our archives. But uh, just a challenge to young people. Like, this doesn't start when you're 21. This doesn't start when you're 18 or 16. This starts now. If you know Jesus Christ, you're on mission, and uh, you got to figure out what that is. Yeah, oh, I agree. And Jan mentioned just a few minutes ago about letting God write your story. And I think there's a misperception about that, or misconception. And we feel that God is scripting everything we do and say. And, but but he, the beauty of it is he gives us a free will. So he gives us, uh, he invites us, I think, into the story. And I was listening to uh, a podcast once. I think it was John Eldridge that said this. Instead of viewing God as the author of your story, the one who's putting pen to paper and writing everything out the way he wants it to be, what if we think of God as the main character in our story? So you've got all these characters playing in your life movie, whatever you view your life movie as, your life film, your life story. And instead of uh, looking at God as the script writer, how about viewing him as the main character, the main actor in your story, and you're participating with him on stage. And he's directing you and asking you to do things, and you say yes or no, or could I, God, could I do it this way? Mm-hmm. And you're working together to mm-hmm. formulate your life story. And I kind of like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So now we're at the time when you guys are in Columbia. Jan has this circumstance where there's a foiled kidnapping. You're teaching a Bible class at your home across town. Talk about that from your perspective. Okay, well, first of all, to give you, to paint the picture, Bogota is a huge city. It, well, more now than back then. But in a car, she was an hour across town, at least. We're yep. talking a huge, huge city, millions of people. So I was teaching a Bible study in um, uh, our home in, in, in the neighborhood where we had set up to uh, minister among middle-class people. And you, you sort of target who you feel that God is, is asking you to, to live among and minister to. And then I got the phone call that, um, from across town asking me if Jan had any health issues uh, at all of any sort. And I said, well, not necessarily. You know, why? And they said, well, she's really not well. She's, she's obviously not feeling well at all. And so... Uh, he offered to bring uh, me, one of the guys offered to bring me, uh, bring Jan to me in his car from across town. And for about three solid days, she was in semi-consciousness, um, obviously very, very ill. And at that point, we still didn't know what had happened. So we heard a lot of that story from Jan the other day. And so uh, now I'm curious to kind of jump ahead of that because we got those details the other day. What were some of the lingering effects of this? You know, how was Jan different after that than she was before? And how does that lead into this 33 years of pain and symptoms and kind of results of all this that were just recently healed within the last 14 months? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in addition to the severe pain, which obviously was very obvious, uh, she was sensitive, very sensitive to sounds and uh, smells, both sounds and smells that didn't bother the rest of us. Fresh paint, freshly installed carpet that hadn't outgassed properly, um, certain um, uh, frequencies. You know, you'd hear a, 
a beep go off that wouldn't bother any any of the rest of us in the room and to her it would just be a, a very piercing sound where she had to run out of the room so i was noticing starting to notice some of those things so jan you mentioned being in kind of constant pain you know he's noticing these things but what's going on inside you well um when they brought me to tim um they said that i had 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 similar to seizures i fell uh apparently near the place where i had been beaten poison and in my mind i wasn't semi-conscious i was unconscious i woke up three days later not knowing anything now some of the drugs they use for that the borundanga they call it it's kind of a cocktail mix of everything hydrocarbon poison formaldehyde street drugs that they add and so the effects of that um we have other friends who have died, and we have other friends, many Colombian friends. Um, most recently, I was told of one that they they rob a bank for the cartel, or they come back three days later uh, with part of their clothing on, or basically for about three days, this drug lasts, and they can be in a semi-conscious state where horrible things happen. The main point was during those three days, I was at home with Tim, and when I woke up, no, it wasn't anything like a migraine. It wasn't just a seizure. Um, I had been beaten and poisoned, and it took years to find out everything that had happened because of tests. But basically, in terms of symptoms, at all times, it was a, like a knife deep in my ear, twisting on fire. Um, trigeminal neuralgia is called the suicide disease, but it was way worse than that. Also, the chronic fatigue, my weight went down 60 pounds less than I am now. If somebody crunched a water bottle, I would scream. I'd go, ah, like that, wow. as loud as that. And at first, people told me, oh, it's PTSD or you had migraines. And when I stopped with MSG, I never had migraines again. And so there's this annoyance that, no, it's physical pain. Yep. And then they started doing all the tests and found out that this was indeed from being beaten, poisoned, and other stories from other people in Colombia came out with similar situations. Interesting. More research, more testing. And at that point, the reason I'm defensive for Tim is people said, well, why didn't you take her to a hospital? Or why didn't the people who brought you to Tim give you more details? You have to understand there were 144 registered terrorist groups trying to take over a country the size of Texas. Five men ran for president. Three had been assassinated. Our shopping mall blew up. And if you saw someone, which we all did, be shot on the street or be drugged on the street, as what happened to me, and an angel didn't save them or somebody from a mission didn't save them, and they got put into a car, I was told the very first week I was there, you look the other way or you will be shot too. Yep. So that was, makes sense. He did absolutely the right thing. Yeah. The people who saved my life did the right thing. The angels did the right thing. But I had 33 years of horrific pain where I wanted to die every second of every day. And yet still we ran off and did missions trips. I'd rather concentrate on the cool things we did when we came home. Yeah. Which were what, Tim? What, Tim? What did we do when we came home after we spent three more years there? After three years in Colombia, we felt led to come back to the United States, but we all always wanted to be involved in ministry of some sort. So I had been invited to help manage and start Christian bookstores in the Midwest, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. And Jan was working in radio in Northern, Christian radio in Northern Indiana. Uh, once we reached Dayton, Ohio, I was also back in Christian radio. 
And uh, during that time, Jan earned her master's degree in uh, education. I earned a master's degree in theology. But my desire was to teach, not to follow my dad's footsteps and go into the pastorate. Once we moved back to Florida, and we were working with Campus Crusade for Christ, obviously now known as Crew, um, we, uh, after a couple of years with Crew, the church that we had helped start in Sarasota in the late 1970s found themselves without a pastor. So this church that found themselves without a pastor uh, asked me if I could preach for them on Sunday mornings until they found their next pastor. And I actually said, well, I'll go a step further. I will help you uh, organize a search committee. They had never done that. And I'll help you find your next pastor. I bet I knew who it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I wasn't trying to be subversive or anything or trying to sneak in the back door. I, uh, they would have been just as happy uh, had I said, I'll be your next pastor and forego the search. But neither one of us, neither the congregation nor I realized where this was going. And God was doing some major work in my life at the time. Because you said earlier, you didn't want to follow in your father's no. footsteps <laughs> and it's starting to look like you are. No. And actually for many times, I felt like a square peg in a round hole. I really did. I I enjoyed the teaching part, the preparing of the messages and the Bible studies, etc. I just really felt deficient in the shepherding part. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's me, brother. And, and, and the vision casting part. I'm more of a problem solver. Yeah. I believe that the tough part of a pastor, a senior pastor, and in this case, the only pastor of a small congregation, you've got to be the visionary. You've got to be the, you know, the person saying, guys, I feel that like God is, teach, is, is leading us in this direction. Follow me. And I just didn't feel that I was a visionary. I just didn't feel that I was a good shepherd. But God really was working with me in, in all those areas, not just in the area of teaching. And, and so it was just, for me, it was exciting, at, at times a bit gut-wrenching to see God working in my life that way. But you know, um, I think surgery and, and growth, and, that sort of, and I mean it in a symbolic way, yeah, yeah. is is not always pleasant, right? even if it's beneficial. right? Growth is not always pleasant. Um, being disciplined, whether you're working on a diet or working out, is not always pleasant, right? but it's necessary. And in the rear view, looking back in the rear view mirror, um, I can see how God was, was working in my life. So what, give us a timeline. 89 is when that deal went down in yes. Columbia. Yes. Now you're the pastor at this church well, for 10 years well, after you did all the stuff in the Midwest. Well, right. We came back to the States in 91. Yep. We moved got back ev- to Florida in 99. We got evacuated in, and then we went right back in three months later and lived there three years. To Columbia. And then I was very ill and he was offered to open Christian bookstores. Yep. That took us through the Midwest where I taught school. I started a doctorate, all kinds of fun things. Did led mission trips. missions trips yep. to the um, Wadani of Ecuador. We led the first mission vision trips I picked up an exchange student in Siberia without Tim still in pain smuggled Bibles in Morocco and Dayton Christian was like a candy store for teachers who want to take kids overseas we were able even to do trips to Sarasota and do mimes and puppets on the beach work with gospel recordings in Mexico and yet still sick so we bring 
soccer tickets to Steve Douglas, and he meets our Russian exchange student, and we were getting ready to, you know, finish PhDs. That kind of stuff was next in the horizon, and he was going to teach. And Tim can do anything, but Steve Douglas said, you could do anything, but um, I need somebody to help me open the crew headquarters and the vision walks in Orlando. So that's what gets you back to Florida. That's what gets us, back, what back, to us back to Florida. And then wh- what year did you take over the pastorate of that church? 2002. And you're there for 10 plus years. Exactly. As the senior pastor. Well, and now yep. you're then, mentoring. Then yeah. uh, we merged with a church in Bradenton after the uh, church property was sold. And uh, so I continue on the pastoral staff, but I'm no longer the senior pastor. It's wonderful. He's mentoring. But, you know, I'd like to just flash back to what Jan was saying about those years when we were in Ohio in the 90s. Jan and I, when our children were small, decided we'd divide and conquer, or at least we felt led to do that. I don't want to make it sound like it was just our decision. So at times, Jan would go on a missions trip, short-term trip, without me, and I would stay home with both kids. Or uh, she would take Lisa, our oldest, and I would stay home with Stephen, our, our youngest. Um, at times, uh, Jan and I went together, and the kids would stay home with friends. Um, at times, Jan would stay home, and I'd leave. So uh, it, it was one of those things where m- most of our trips were one to two weeks. Jan did a three-week trip to Russia, and I stayed home with the kids. And so it was just one of those things where we were actively involved in short-term missions trips. But because of the ages of our children, we didn't go as an entire family to mm-hmm. everywhere. How did the boat come into play? Yeah. About the time where uh, we needed more income to live, and I was pastoring uh, the Spanish church that couldn't pay me a livable wage, we were considering different ways of being able to pay the bills. And Jan had actually considered going back to teaching. And uh, this couple that we knew that had a sailing charter called us out of the blue said they were wanting to sell their business and wanted to know if we were interested. We had gone out with them a couple of times as clients and uh, they knew we knew how to sail. We were a couple, they wanted to sell to a couple, they preferred to sell to a couple, they hadn't advertised openly that their business was for sale. I told them frankly we didn't have money to buy their business. And um, The conversations over the next few weeks, to make a long story short, they decided to own or finance the business if we were interested. But I was really struggling with whether this is what God wanted us to do or whether it was a great temptation from the enemy to get me out of full-time pastoral ministry. And in retrospect, we're in our 16th year running this business, and it's very clear that it was God's will that we take it over. So now I want to come full circle to what Jan was talking about at the beginning, which is she thought she needed to leave her home to take Christ to the nations. Now you got this boat, and you're realizing that this is a ministry tool that you would have never expected. So I want to hear some of how the boat has been used by God. That's very easy for me to answer because I remember the exact moment when I realized that it was more than just God's way of providing extra income for us. Up to, up to that point, and it was several months in to running the sailing charter, I actually was eager to get off the boat after sailing a few hours each day to get back into pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. go visit people in the hospital, nursing home, work on sermons, whatever it took, do counseling. And so I re- remember one day a group of college-age students during spring break got on board, 
And uh, all of them except this young lady went up front, were slathering on sunscreen, and I just thought it was going to be a normal sailing trip with about six college-age students. And this, this young lady sat back and just hung back, and I thought, okay, I just assumed she wanted to learn how to sail. She said, can I ask you, do you mind if I ask you a question? And so I assumed that her question was going to be about sailing, because I was back by the helm station, and we were underway, and the sails were up, and we were sailing, and I said, sure. She said, well, I read online that you're a pastor, and there's been a question that's really been bothering me. Wow. And at that moment, I realized it was not going to be a sailing question. <laughs> and so I, um, I fired up what I call a Nehemiah prayer. Yeah. In one of those five-second prayers. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 2, the king asks Nehemiah, why are, why are you so downcast? You know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And uh, Nehemiah said, I prayed to the Lord, and then I answered the king. And like it, so, it was go time right there. Yeah, so it's, it's not like Nehemiah went back to his room got on his knees and prayed and then came back an hour later and answered the king. It was like, boom, boom. Yeah. So <laughs> my version of a Nehemiah prayer is, okay, God, I don't know what she's about ready to ask me, but I need wisdom and discernment from you to know how to answer that question. And so she said, um, I'm just wondering, can we change God's mind through prayer? <laughs> it's like one of the top five hardest questions. <laughs> I'm like, that is a great question. And I actually said to her, that is a great question. And I immediately sensed that I was not supposed to give her a yes or a no answer. I immediately sensed that I was supposed to describe in Scripture where it appears that's what's happening in certain instances in Scripture. The main one that came to mind for me where it was Moses, when Moses interceded on behalf of the Israelites. Yeah. When God basically said, step aside, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start again with your descendants. And think about how easy it would have been for Moses to say, go at it, Lord, just give me a chance to get away from your wrath and then just rain, rain down fire from heaven, you know? Yeah. Be because he could have thought, man, God wants to start a whole new element of the human race with my descendants. But Moses interceded as he said, oh God, don't, don't do that. Please don't do that. We all know the story. And so I asked her, I said, and so it says God relented. But if we serve a God who the Bible says is not like humans, he does not lie and he does not change his mind, can we change God's mind through prayer or is our intercession, when we pray, is it more for us to line up with God's will? Is it more to change us than to change God? And I said, maybe, I said to her, maybe God knew that Moses needed that moment in prayer, interceding for the Israelites to find out where his heart truly was lined up and how much he cared for these people, even though they were driving Moses nuts as well. And I went on and did some other illustrations. Long story short, she seemed satisfied with my answer, and I felt very satisfied that God had used me on this sailboat to speak into this young lady's life. This plays so much into what Vonette Bright told me because we came down to crew and it was just the most amazing thing to help open the headquarters. Then 9-11 happened and they wanted to switch Tim into global crisis manager. Then I became his global crisis and I got so ill that he brought me home. Wonderful man, I don't think I've said that yet on air. And all these different things are happening, playing in, and the story is always better than you think it will be. And I was like, Vonette, 
what are you talking about? I'm not a missionary. I'm not with my, with my people group that I can find the last people group on earth. Where are they? And she just smiled and said, Jesus had a boat in his hometown with 12 people. You're still a missionary, dear. So That's God awesome. writes the story. You know, Soren Kierkegaard once said that we can only understand life looking backwards, but we must live it look, going forward, looking forward. And at our age, we're now in our 60s, we see that more than ever. Yeah. It's too bad we don't have that perspective at times when we're in our 20s and yeah. 30s and even 40s. But we look back, I think it helps you to trust more. Oh, yeah. It's, it, when you, the older you get as a follower of Christ, it doesn't make you more self-reliant, uh, uh, more self-reliant, it makes you more reliant on God and saying, God, I'm gonna trust you no matter what. I'm gonna trust you even if I don't understand what's going on because knowing that I'm willing to be obedient, you're not gonna let me fall outside the lines of obediency, the word. Now, after being miraculously healed, for over a year, and that happened through the prayer instantaneously. Maybe it's because I'm not in pain anymore, but I can see we were supposed to go to Colombia. We were supposed to run around the world, and we were supposed to come home. So uh, married since 1977 by both dads. Tim did the wedding of our daughter. Tim's been a board of trustee member and the chair of the seminary committee at the university where our parents went and our grandparents knew each other. Again, if you're a kid listening to this, let God write your story. Amen. It'll be better than, better than anything I can think of. 14 months ago, she's healed, pain goes away. What, what did you notice? I mean, she noticed a ton of stuff because it's inside her. What's, what, what have you noticed? You were there. In terms of change What's different about Jan now? Well, yeah, the night that she, uh, where she was spontaneously prayed for by uh, the widow of uh, the late Jim Irwin, the eighth man to walk on the moon. So we were in a small banquet hall with the organizers of uh, the uh, community prayer breakfast that was going to take place the next morning. In the middle of the meal, the... Uh, the, the widow of, of Jim Irwin reaches over and, and tells Jan to just be still. And then there was a pause. And uh, Jan had been doing a lot of talking, so Jan just assumed that she was doing too much talking. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nothing and, new. And, 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 and Mary Irwin said, Jan, a second time, she said, be still. And then she started praying for Jan. And she was sitting on Jan's left. I was on Jan's right. So I immediately put my fork down and I started touching the side of the face of Jan's face where the pain was because Mary was doing the same thing. So I kind of like laid my hand on her hand and I didn't know what was happening. And I just thought, I'm going to just let this prayer roll on. Had people prayed for Jan before? Oh, many times. Obviously like It's this. so embarrassing when someone in a congregation of a thousand people who doesn't know you stops the sermon and says, before we continue with the recording group, we're going to stop and pray for a lady who's got deep inner ear pain and wants to die. And my family's looking at me like, how dare you? And I'm like, I didn't tell anyone. And then afterwards, you're not healed. And you, yeah. it's embarrassing. Yeah. And so none of us knew at that moment, the fullness of this prayer, the ramifications, etc. And uh, so, but I just, when people pause to pray, I mean, I take it seriously. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's just not one of those things where, <laughs> okay, this is weird. Why are you praying for me in the middle of an elevator or in the middle of a parking lot? Or what? 
if someone's going to stop to pray, take it seriously. And so that's what we did. And um, so Jan says, well, Jan, you need to describe what you felt in the middle of that prayer. I thought I was going to puke on the NFL player behind me, <laughs> Ricky Bolton, Cleveland Browns, and on the seminary committee with Tim. And then I felt like my brain was being opened and surgery with a knife. It hurt very much, probably so God wanted to make sure I knew it wasn't my imagination. My myelin sheath had been kind of busted. I had nerve damage. I had seizures often. At, at this point, I wasn't driving. I wasn't babysitting. I was very, very ill, and yet I knew how to dock a yacht. But it went through my brain on the other side and then stopped, and then I was well, and that's when Donna said, remember, Donna, Kevin and Donna Jessup. Kevin and Donna Jessup had just finished with the return, and I had invited them to come to this. Interestingly enough, the return is a global movement to return to the Lord. Now it's the return Israel. And the people involved, Michael W. Smith, that's the Christian music world I played backup flute for, and Ann Graham Lotz, our parents were friends who worked with Billy Graham, Jonathan Kahn that I just got back with Tim from Israel with, playing flute for him, and Andrew Palau, Luis Palau's son. Donna Jessup, I think God chose the people that he wanted to see this, looks out the window. Do you remember what she said? Go ahead. She said, Jan, you got healed on the eve of Purim. At sunset. And Jan's thinking, Purim, Purim. Where I have I heard this. that before? You know, Jewish holiday. Queen Esther, they tried to kill her. It didn't yeah. work. And then as if on cue, the guy that's in charge of paying for the prayer breakfast, who's part of the Jewish world, gets up and explains Purim because it's sunset at Purim. And then we're like, okay, now the movie cameras, now the sailing home story can be told. But how did you feel? Did you notice the difference when I got well? Well, the very next day, Jan and I were participating in the community prayer breakfast so, you know, it was one of those things where as the days rolled on, I just noticed a change in her demeanor. Yeah. Uh, a, more, more of a calmness um, and, and just an eagerness to tell her, her story. I mean, it was obvious, not just guesswork. It was obvious that a miracle had taken place. That's it was awesome. just tremendous. Yeah. And continues to this day. Part of her story. And, you know, for those people out there that are just wondering the whys of things in their lives. I read somewhere that a true faith is being able to live without knowing the answer, even to your dying day. Saying, God, even if I don't understand why I had to go through that, why I had to go through this, whatever that may be. It may be physical pain, it may not be, but I trust you. That's, that's where the, your level of faith uh, comes into the picture. You know, it's almost like going back to what Job said, even though he slay me, Yet I will trust him. Yeah. You know, uh, and 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 just like uh, the friends of Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace, where they said, "O King, we know that our God is is able to save us from the fiery furnace." But even if He doesn't save us, mm. you know, so the, the the key thing is not putting conditions before God, saying, "God, if you heal me, I will trust you more. Right. If you do this, I will." You know, not starting to negotiate with God, trusting Him, even if we don't see Him at work or don't understand. Maybe we may not ever get the answer. Yeah. You know, yeah. the man born blind. Yeah. Never got the answer as to why he was born blind. Nope. <laughs> you know? That's good stuff. So now what's your ministry look like going forward? What's, first of all, I mean, is she more pleasant to be around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that she wasn't before, but, but I mean, there's, there had to have been like a, just an edge. Edge. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely an edge. 
Well, moving forward, we're just praying that God will teach us what he wants us to know. I just love the fact that he is willing to give us wisdom and discernment. You know, as promised in James 1, 5 through 8, he'll give wisdom and discernment to all who ask. Um, Jan and I wake up in the mornings and we ask God to help us to be a blessing. We don't know in what way. And uh, in many ways, some days, you know, I don't want it to sound like we're constantly riding on a silver cloud of amazing divinity. Yeah. Some, days, some days are just common days where we get up, go through the day, and it's just, it's just a normal day. We get home at night, and we just thank God for that day. But we didn't see anything extraordinary from our viewpoint. Yeah. And then there are days where I'm like, you know, an hour after something has happened or we've shared with somebody or we've talked to somebody or prayed with somebody and they're in tears where you just, after the event, go, wow, God, what was that all about? Amazing. Can you share another story or two of that? You know, you talked about that gal who sat in the back and asked you that question. What are some other just kind of anecdotal stories mm. of ministry you've been able to do? It's, it's so amazing that every single day we might have three charters. One might be um, a group of Amish girls at sunset singing Amazing Grace. Right before that, we might have um, a group from the United Arab Emirates on a, on a business trip, and this is their perk. Right before that, we'll have people from Kansas. And we never have an agenda. I think that's what we've learned. Wake up in the morning and say, here I am, Lord. Sometimes it's just with a smile and a piece of chocolate. Yeah. People who eat chocolate on sailboats don't start wars. Yeah. You say that and that opens all kinds of things. Or you show the key to the city and they say, why, why was your father given the key? And you say he was a man of God. Yeah. Not rich, not famous, not a politician, but chaplain to police share fire veterans hospital yeah and a city closed a highway for six miles for the funeral of a man of god you don't really have to say anything else you say that and yeah. they they open up with their stories and basically just listening and i think that's what i've learned over the years to listen to god because i wanted god to heal me I was tired of pretending I didn't have brain damage. It was very freeing when doctors said it was brain damage. And I'd like to, to thank God, but I'd also like to thank Tim for the opportunity to be married to him through thick and through thin. And yes, I know that embarrasses you, but not many guys would, would do this journey of disease yeah. and other people are going through it. it might be cancer it might not be brain damage and we walked it together and we did that because of our faith yeah i have two quick stories and it's exciting but i have this um this thing where i, I go into used bookstores and look for mm -hmm. um christian books uh that are clean that have not been marked up highlighted whatever that i know i can give away as gifts well, a few years ago, I started keeping just a small group of those books on board the boat. And um, last year, we had a Jewish family on board, and the father sat back. He wanted to learn about sailing, so he sat back with me in the cockpit. You've got to visualize this 41-foot sailboat. The rest of the family was up in front of the mast, sitting on cushions, but he sat back there. And we got to talking about philosophical things and theological things, and I'm not a very aggressive extrovert. I don't push people up against the wall and 
and try to lead him to the Lord in the first five minutes. You know, yeah. I just I just wait to see how God's going to go open up the doors. That's just my personality. Yeah. And uh, we got to talking about things, and I could tell that he was deeply spiritual, but I discerned also that he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Being a staunch Jew. Yep. And. Um, so toward the end of the cruise, to make a long story short, on, on, in this particular instance, I, I felt led, and I kind of had to fight it for five minutes as we're pulling into the dock. I felt led where the Lord was saying to me, Tim, you know that copy of uh, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel that you've got down below? Um, you need to give it to this guy. Awesome. And I'm like, oh, man, give that, the, uh, the case for Christ to a Jewish guy? I mean, <laughs> so as he was getting off, I said, could I gift you a book? I mean, you, you seem to be very open-minded about spirituality. And he said, I think I am. I'm willing to consider many things. I said, could I gift you this book? And, and I hope you won't be offended, but I said, this, this may amplify your thinking on some things concerning awesome. Jesus. And he, he thanked me and gave me a hug, said, oh man, this, sound, this looks amazing. I didn't, wasn't aware of this book. Other story, just a few weeks ago. Before you go into this other story, I just want to highlight a couple things about what you just said that I think are you're not even trying to teach us stuff, but I mean, this is important for people to catch. First of all, it's okay to be the kind of Christian who isn't super aggressive and trying to lead someone to the Lord in the first five minutes. You know, you're campus crusade people. I I worked for the Canadian arm of crew. I was the U S director for their digital strategies for a while. And if you're in that world or if you're in the evangelical world, you might be led to believe that you gotta, you gotta get going on this deal. Right. Time short. For spiritual laws or, you know, don't waste your time, you know. Jesus is coming back. That's right. we got to get as many on board the train as possible. But just the discernment yes. of what the Lord is doing yes. rather than going in with this aggressive agenda. Yes. And here's what I think. I think God wired some people to go in with a, an aggressive Absolutely. agenda. And that's good for them. That's part of his economy. But if you're a person who's more introverted or more just kind of quiet, kind of looking for the opportunity. That's okay too. There's not a cookie cutter for how we do this. The second thing I think is great is you just gave like an evangelism class in in 30 seconds about how to hear from the Lord. Like the Lord lays this on your mind. You kind of fight with him about it for five (laughs) minutes going, oh, this is going to be weird. Yeah. How how, how does this go about? I don't want to do this. And then the way that you phrased it was so uh, respectful and so... There's no way that guy would have ever been offended or put off by the way that you did it. And then, boom, there he is. He's got this resource, this book. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to stop and highlight those two things that you said, which I think are important for Christians to know. Now go on to your second example. Yeah, and I'd like to piggyback on what you just said, that God has created your personality, and he's going to work through your personality. Whether you're an extreme extrovert, um, a medium extrovert, an extreme introvert or a medium introvert, whatever. He's going to work through your personality. We don't all have to look alike. We've often joked, remembering Jan's dad the way he was. He was like way out there in, in the extrovert world. And we used to joke and, and use hyperbole and exaggerate about the fact that when he got on an elevator yep. doing hospital calls, if somebody hadn't gotten saved by the third floor, he felt, <laughs> like, you know, he felt like he had failed. He just was one of these guys that was just out there, person, not shy at all. God worked through him That's in a mighty sure. way. God works through people who are extremely shy. Um, no, this other story that I want to share with you, just because it had nothing to do with me doing anything. I just was amazed by how you immediately can see when God 
is working in someone's life. Mm. We had a family on board with five teenagers. I think some of them were cousins. So we had uh, two couples on board and then five teenagers. And uh, they were all up front having fun on the boat, slathered in sunscreen. And then one of them came back and wanted to learn how to sail. A young man, I know he was 19, he told me so. And then he needed to use the restroom. So he asked if he could go below and use the restroom. And he went down below and after about four or five minutes, I'm wondering, I wonder if he's okay. Did he get seasick? And then I peeked down there and he's reading a book that I've, la- I've laid out several of these books and he's, he's reading a book. And I, I tell him, hey, you can bring that up here if you want. And he goes, have you read this book? I said, oh, <laughs> several times. It's one of my favorite books. It happened to be John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. I'm familiar with it. And he had gotten to page 10. You know, he was into the, past the introduction and into the first chapter. And um, so his siblings, his cousins, whatever, are still up front. The adults are chatting, and he nestled into a corner of the sailboat. We've got this beautiful scenery. We're sailing. I mean, it's one of those things where if you're not looking around, something's weird. They paid for it. They're paid, and his nose is in this book. And I said, you know you can take that with you if you want. You can have that book if you want. I've got other copies. He said, are you serious? Now, this is a paperback book. You know, at a used bookstore, it cost me all of four bucks, you know. <laughs> and he just can't believe it. I mean... It, he acted like I'd just given him a watch or something. <laughs> and um, he thanked me profusely when he got off the dock for the boat. 19-year-old man. And I just had to sit back after the family left. And I said, God, I don't know what this mm-hmm. is all about. I don't know what seed is going to grow on the basis of this. The only thing I pray is that that young man won't just grow cold and set that book aside when he gets home, but that he'll just hunger, continue hungering for it and hungering for you from what I just saw. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven exactly, but to me, I hope that we get to see some of the dots connected. You know, it would be cool to find out if that kid was a believer or came to be a believer and if that book played a role. It would be cool to kind of look behind the curtain and see yeah. see that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. who knows what God's doing? But you know what's interesting to me, too, is I used to think, man, we've got to go out there and we've got to try to spark an interest in people to know Christ who don't know Him. But as I get older, I realize that really the, the initiation comes from God. Yes. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God, it says, He went through the garden saying, where are you? And we know he wasn't looking for their physical location. He knew, he knew where they were. He knew what they had done. But, but it's a deeper question. Where are you? And God's initiating that, where are you? And uh, this young man, there were five teenagers or young adults on board that day. And I don't know how God's going to reach the other four. But they were out there just having fun, soaking up the sun and this and that. But I could tell that this young man was hungering for something that, that the others were not yet hungering for. And it just showed me that he, God had already started a work in this young man's life. And we just need to get on board with what God's doing with yeah. the people around us. Well, I want to turn the corner and start wrapping this up. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're not aware of the technical difficulties we've been fighting. We're going to hopefully be able to edit that out and patch it up. And, and if it sounded pretty good, but praise the Lord. Yes. And if there's some herky-jerkiness in the middle of it, just give us a little bit of license because 
got a power issue here. But, um, you know, it's been so great to sit down a couple days ago with you first, Jan, hear your story now, to meet you, Tim, and just kind of hear your story, which obviously is closely related to hers. What else would you have to say to our audience, uh, you know, as we kind of tie this together? Well, you know what? I, I've, it's amazing to me how God works in my personal life with growth. I have learned things that in the last three months, I've learned things about God that I did not previously know. And it's how it, it all is on the basis of how he wants to change me. Um, I used to see other people as my projects, including Jan. I want to apologize publicly for that. And I just realized it's, it's my job to work on me. Hmm to get the log out of my own eye before I help people get the specks out of their eyes. Mm. And, and God has just really been teaching me more about cooperating with him in, in, in the work that he's doing in my life. I'm a, I'm a project, just like we all are, but I, I want to cooperate with him and not push back, not resist. Like you said at the beginning of our time together here today, I don't want to resist God and say, oh, don't go there, God. I just want to say, God, you know, I, I want to work with you in changing me. And a few years ago, I was praying for our children through their teenage years. And I was praying, God, I just pray that you'll help Lisa and Stephen to be able to see themselves the way you see them. And I said, in some way, Lord, could you hold up a divine mirror in front of them? that they could see themselves the way you see them, that they would love about their lives what you love, but that they would be disgusted about what's in their lives that, you're, that disgusts you, with everything that disgusts you. And I remember after a few days of praying this for our children, just lovingly wanting them to see who they are in Christ, I, I, just it flashed through my mind. I didn't hear God's voice, but it flashed through my mind where God was saying, okay, Tim, mm. Are you willing to let me do that for you? Ah. Uh, and it was kind of like a gentle slap in the face. Yeah. <laughs> going, okay, I'll, I'll do that for your kids, but are you, are you willing to let me hold up my divine mirror in front of you so that you can see what I love about you, what I like about you? Uh, and what and, disgusts me. But, but I, I, wanna be, I want you to be able to clearly see what disgusts me about you and how we can change that. Are you willing to... Work with me, allow me to work in your life. And just going back to that passage where Paul said that he will complete the work in each one of us that he started. Okay, Jan, how do you want to wrap this up? Along those same lines, it goes back to letting God write your story. And during those years that I was sick, we didn't know about the sailboat. We didn't know that I would ever be on that boat without pain. And it goes back to each story that we've seen being written on the boat. A young boy named Matthew started sailing with us when he was around eight. He just graduated from college. His mom helps me with the schedule. They're in Greece right now celebrating. He sailed everywhere, mostly inspired by the stories of Tim crossing the Pacific for charity. People have gotten engaged on our boat, have gotten married on our boat, have come back for anniversaries on their boat. Grandparents who have sailed together have had their ashes scattered out in the Gulf of Mexico on our boat. I would say to our listeners, don't try to write your own story. Let God write it. You know, Jan mentioned several events. 
key of family events that have happened on the boat. And I, and I often tell people it's such a privilege to be a part of the milestones of yeah. their lives yes. where people have gotten engaged on the boat, have gotten married on the boat. We had one instance where we took a 90-year-old man sailing that had been his dream. And um, three years later, we were scattering his ashes. He was wow. back on, the, back on the boat in, in a year urn. And uh, we were scattering his ashes at sea. And just helping people with the closures of the milestones of their lives. That's another ministry aspect where you're not seeing something specific uh, where, where it's a, a life-changing thing, but you know that God's using you and the boat platform for an unforgettable moment in someone's life. She mentioned sailing across the Pacific. He's done so many things that we sailboat? didn't even tell you. Yeah. <laughs> With that our sounds son. crazy. With our son. Oh, no. We, yeah. I, I, I'm still waiting to do the Atlantic. How big of a boat? 74 foot. Okay. It was a good sized boat. How many crew? Uh, eight. How so, many days? Uh, five weeks. That's yeah. more interesting than anything I've heard no, so No, Tim's far. amazing. You need five <laughs> days for no, no, Tim. No, no, you it, could do me in 10 minutes. <laughs> no, that's not true. No, but... Um, He's my it, hero. It was just one of those things. Somebody quickly, somebody donated a, a sailboat to Youth with a Mission. Yep. YWAM. Yep. They needed to get it to Kona, Hawaii. Our son called. And he I'll was serving. It. Yeah. No, no. And, our son called uh, and yeah, said, I our, won't go without you, our, Dad. Yeah. Our son called because he was with uh, YWAM at the time, serving with YWAM at the time. And he said, Dad, we're short a crew. And I knew I was going to have to block out six weeks of our time. And it, that took some faith because I would not be running our sailing business for six weeks. And uh, the amazing thing is, th this is just a testament of how God provides. After we left, I booked uh, the air flight through Fiji. We, I had to meet the boat out in Tarawa, the island of Tarawa, because we did not leave from the continental United States. So after we said yes, without knowing how the finances were going to work, uh, several people who wanted to go sailing with us while I was absent, Jan was answering the phone back in Sarasota, saying, well, sorry, we can't take your group sailing because Tim is doing this boat delivery for Youth with a Mission. They said, that is amazing. We want to be a part of that. <laughs> and they sent checks in to help cover my airfare and the living expenses. In one case, this couple that we could not take sailing, we could not take them their family sailing, they sent a check for $1,000 saying we want to help with, with Tim's airfare. For me, that was one more reaffirmation that when you step out on faith, God will backfill. He'll come in with the backfill. He won't necessarily provide it up front, but if yeah. you step out on faith knowing you're supposed to do something, yeah. a missions trip, move to another country, start a new work somewhere, and if all the pieces are not in, a, in, in line, but you're sure God's in it, you're sure God wants you to do it, he'll come in from, the, from behind and he'll backfill that as needed. Doug Meyer, board member, National Religious Broadcasters. His wife, Janet, called and said, I want to book a sailing charter. I did not know she was a Christian. I did not know anything about her. I said, well, my husband's gone right now, but I'm really bored. You want to come swimming in Siesta Key? So that's how we met Doug. Wow. And um, Judy Douglas from our days at Crew gave me air miles. So when they showed up in Hawaii, what happened? Oh, yeah, I did not know this, but uh, it was a big surprise. Five weeks at sea. And we see the big island of Hawaii in, in the distance, and we're all talking about what we're going to do when we get, you know, 
on land after five weeks at sea, I said, I'm going to look for the biggest salad buffet I can find, you know? <laughs> and we look on the dock where there are about 20 people waving at us and they have lays, you know, getting ready to hang those lays around our neck. And they're waving and this and that. And all of a sudden, I was working with some dock lines on the boat, getting ready to tie up. We're all excited about the trips over. We're safe. And all of a sudden, I hear our son Steve go, hey, Dad, is that Mom? <laughs> I look up, and Jan was on the dock. That's I didn't awesome. know that she was going to be in Hawaii What year us. did you do this? Nah, 2014. Okay, so we, need, we do need to wrap this up, but... <laughs> So I, I, I wouldn't quite go to harrowing, but there was a bit of excitement toward the end of our trip in that there was a hurricane approaching Hawaii for the first time in like 25 years, we were told. It was 1,200 miles away, and it was going away from us. It was not coming toward us, so we were not being overly anxious about trying to outrun a hurricane. But for about three days, we did have 8 to 10-foot seas. Um, and even on this 74-foot boat, we, we had a couple of crew lose their appetites <laughs> during that time. I feel very blessed in that I've never suffered from motion sickness, but I would say that was a bit exciting and took a little more energy and concentration than when we were sailing in one-foot seas. I had no idea one-foot seas existed in the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> and this is random, but there's a podcast that is done by these Christian guys that talks about the crazy stuff in the oceans, like 5% of the ocean is mapped. 5% right. of the global oceans are mapped. Oh, yeah. I've heard that we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about our oceans. They talk about that. Yeah. And they also talk about these conspiracy theories about these crazy, humongous ocean creatures that, like a megalodon, except bigger and yeah. crazy. Have you heard of this stuff? Yeah. Giant squids that could swallow a, a boat the size we were on. I try not to think about that. When I'm like, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, that would freak me out. They're not on our Siesta Key sailing charters. Okay. Last word, Jan. I want to thank my grandkids for being born and give a shout out to... I don't to, think they had anything to do with that. Uh, well, I'll thank my, <laughs> thank my daughter and my son-in-law, who, by the way, you can buy a home from if you come to Siesta Key. Okay. But um, Elijah and Ivy and Rico and Andrea, you are the most exciting chapter of our life. That's awesome. Hey, it's been a great conversation. And uh, write your own story. Yep. Let, let God write your story. Don't yes, try to, don't write I, your wow. story. <laughs> don't write your own story. Let God write your story. Uh, you can do ministry with whatever and where God puts you in front of and where, wherever he's planted you. And uh, I love that evangelism lesson that we got in the middle. Just make friends. The guy, the Jewish guy in the case for yeah. Christ. Yeah, well, you know, I had, I had one final thought, although I could have a lot of final thoughts. I heard something the other day that I absolutely loved. Seek to know God more than seek to know understanding. That really ministered to me. I, I, I sometimes want to know from God why or what he's doing next or this or that. But if we seek to fall in love with Jesus more every day, the rest will come. Yes. It's a different way of saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God yes. and his righteousness. I love that. That sounds so religious and we, we know that and just is, is covered with a bunch of drapery that um, that, that sometimes we can't get past. But this guy said in a podcast that I was listening to, he said that he learned that the important thing was seeking God more than seeking understanding. Falling in love with Jesus more than anything else. 
Tim and Jan Solomon. I just realized you got two biblical names, Tim Solomon, Timothy Solomon. Exactly. That's great. I'm double blessed. Thanks so much for your time. God Thank bless you. you. I, I mean, I want to come down and sail. Do it. Uh, she said you'd count me one. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. I, I don't got a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Only because we're crazy <laughs> about your son. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I might even give you a, go- a book. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. God Thank bless. you, Matt. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.